This episode is brought to you in partnership with Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. They are fully accredited by the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries. You can learn more about them at their website, cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here with my co-host, Jimmy Johnson. Today, we're going to be talking about the first question from the Orthodox Catechism. And before we get into our episode, Jimmy, just do you want to tell our listeners hello? Hello. All right. Well, uh, before we get into the first question of the Orthodox Catechism, uh, we mentioned in our last episode that this uh, catechism uh, utilizes the Heidelberg Catechism. And uh, we want to say a little bit about this catechism before we uh, talk about the first question. I'm going to be reading the first paragraph of the introduction from the ESV Creeds and Confessions Bible on the Heidelberg Catechism. This is what it says. The chief influence in the development of the Heidelberg Catechism was Zacharias Ursinus, a new recruit at the University of Heidelberg in modern-day Germany. The 21-year-old professor of theology was a leading figure in the university's golden age as a center for training ministers for the Protestant church. Ursinus's catechism, completed in 1563, was his most famous work. It was quickly translated into various languages and became a favorite among the Reformed. When the Synod of Dort approved the catechism in 1619, it was assured a special place among churches in the continental Reformed tradition. So, um, Zacharias Ursinus completed this the Heidelberg Catechism in 1563, and it was approved by the Synod of Dort in 1619. So, uh, Jimmy, uh, do you mind just reading the first question from the Orthodox Catechism? I believe there's no difference between the Heidelberg and the Orthodox in the first question. Am I correct? If so, it's very little. I mean, the substance most definitely is the same, but here it is. What is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? That both in soul and body, whether I live or die, I am not my own, but belong wholly unto my most faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By his most precious blood, fully satisfying for all my sins, he has delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly father, not so much as a hair may fall from my head. Yes, all things must serve for my safety and by his spirit. Also, he assures me for of everlasting life and makes me ready and prepared that from now on I may live to him. Um, I'll go and transition us into the next portion, um, and we're just going to try and, and break down and give an exposition 
um, to this this first paragraph or this first question of the Orthodox Catechism, and we are relying heavily upon Ursinus's own commentary as as we seek to to understand and and accurately portray and outline and exposit what's being said here. Um, so we're going to start out by defining what comfort is. Um, my paraphrase of what Ursinus says is, when our grief is lessened by contrasting something good against something evil, resulting in relief and patient endurance. So when our grief is lessened by contrasting something good against something evil, resulting in relief and patient endurance. And here's what Ursinus says himself. Comfort is that which results from a certain process of reasoning in which we oppose something good to something evil, that by a proper consideration of this good, we may mitigate our grief and patiently endure the evil. And and in both those definitions, there is this assumption that both Ursinus and myself have, as well as Bible-believing Christians have, that in this life, we will undergo, undergo many trials and difficulties in which we may be tempted to, to be despondent or, or to despair life. Even, even Paul and his companions in 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, say how they despair living. They are going under so much pressure that they are despairing life. And, and just a few weeks ago, we, we talked about John Bunyan and talked briefly about the slew of despond um, in which Pilgrim falls into very early on his journey. Um, and, and he is helped by a man by the name of Help. Um, so comfort is, is putting good, a good, up against a evil. And the end of that would be some sort of relief as well as a, a promotion and a prompting to patiently endure that evil because you see that there is a greater good um, that transcends it and goes beyond it and, and will come as a result of this present evil. Austin, could you go ahead and get us started on the object of true comfort? Yeah, the object of true comfort uh, and the answer to this question is that I with body and soul. So encapsulating the idea of the whole person um, of the individual in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So there's the idea of body. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10 says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So um, that is the object of true comfort. Um, perhaps I can transition us again as we look at the extent of true comfort, and that is both in life and in death. A few more verses. Um, that we have. Philippians 121 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, another verse is Romans 14, 8, which says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, 
we are the Lord's. So that language seems very clear there in the first part of the answer of the catechism. And then one more verse, 1 Corinthians 3.23, which says, and you are Christ's and Christ's is God. So the object of true comfort is the whole of the person, body and soul, and the extent of true comfort is both in life and in death. Jimmy, what are the contents of true comfort? So there are six, and and we're going to go through each one of them. And Austin, I invite you as we go through them, if you have anything that you'd like to add, just go ahead and interrupt me and, and add whatever you need to add, and I'll give you time after each one. So number one, the our true comfort consists of our being united to Christ. So first Corinthians 7.23 says, you were bought with a price, do not become bondservants of men. So what Paul is getting at there again is that we have been bought by Christ. We belong to him. We, we are a part of his body, we might even say. And then again, that verse that, that Austin just read, 1 Corinthians 3, hold up here. 323 and you are Christ and Christ is God's. I mean the the key or 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 one of the elements of us being or our true comfort is that first we we belong and we are united to Jesus himself. Do you have anything you'd like to add to that Austin? Nope. All right. Moving right along. The the second content of our comfort is our sin being satisfied. So first Peter 1.18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So our sin debt um, the debt which we ought to pay on our own um, by undergoing judgment, it has been satisfied. It has been, we might say, pacified or, or paid for by Jesus's offering of himself in our steed. Another passage we might consider is 1 John 1.7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one another with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So again, Jesus has paid for our sin debt. We have been cleansed of our sin. And, and we can even consider a longer, a little longer passage um, that's not cited by the Orthodox Catechism, but Romans 3. 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law and the prophets, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be 
just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So again, the theme of all these passages is this idea of Jesus satisfying our sin debt of of the penalty that we ought to pay has in fact been paid for us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, Jesus being put forward as a propitiation in which he satisfies the justice of God, as well as he cleanses us from our sin. Um, so that is one of the, the elements or contents of true comfort. Number three, are being delivered from the reign of sin, death, and Satan. So Hebrews 2 is a, is a key passage here. Hebrews 2, 14 in particular, and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, talking about Jesus, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And I, I also refer, um, or we might also consider Romans 6, where, where we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. You can find that particularly in verses 5 through 11. But the reign of sin and Satan and death for the believer in Christ Jesus, for the one who has been united to him, for the one who has had their sin satisfied, or the penalty of their sin satisfied. They have been delivered from the reign of sin, death, and Satan. Um, those things no longer reign over them, and therefore we have the comfort that our true king, um, Jesus, he is the one who reigns over our lives. And he will, as the author of Hebrews makes the case later on, um, lead us into the eternal rest, um, because he is a greater king. And, and then you can even consider first John where, in which John says that he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And, and the, the implication there is that Christ is superior to Satan and, and thus we will overcome. We have been delivered from the reign of sin, death, and Satan. The fourth content of true comfort is our being preserved through all things. So John 6.39 is key here. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. None of those for whom Jesus was given will not be raised up on the last day. Another passage that should obviously come to mind would be Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he, he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those whom God has purposed to save will be preserved by him through all things, through trials, tribulations, through sufferings. There are more passages that talk about it, but our, but our comfort is grounded in this, this fact that God is working together our salvation. He, he has accomplished the beginning, the middle, and the end. He will carry us through all the way. Have anything to add so far, Austin? Uh, just in the deliverance from 
the tyranny of the devil. First John 3, 8 says, this is the reason the son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Mm. And of course, uh, we know from reading the scripture, um, Genesis three fifteen that promise was revealed. And although we're not directly right now looking at Second London Confession, we're looking at the Orthodox Catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism. I love the language of chapter 7, paragraph 3. It says, This covenant is revealed in the gospel, first of all, to Adam and the promise of salvation by the seed of the woman and afterward by farther steps until the full discovery thereof was completed in the New Testament. So the concept of the Son of God appearing to squash or to um, destroy the works of the devil is is seen in the answer to this first catechism question. He has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and just as a recap, we've we've gone through four of them. We we have true comfort as believers because we've been united to Christ. Number one, because our sin debt has been satisfied by Christ. Number two, number three, um, because our we have been delivered from the reign of sin, death, and the devil. And number four, because we will be preserved through all things. So there are two more. Number five, we we have true comfort because we all things will be worked together for good. That is for those who love God. You can see if we go back to, to Romans 8.28, and we know that though for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, according to his purpose. And there's another, we can see an example of this in Genesis 50, um, when when Joseph is talking about how his brothers sold him into slavery, and they're afraid that afraid that he's going to kill them because Jacob has died. Um, and, and they say something to the effect, well, our father's last wish was that you not kill us um, or you forgive us. And, and Joseph assures them that what they intended or what they willed for evil, God willed for good. Um, so even the evils that we experience in this life, we, we have that assured comfort that even they are being worked together for good, for our good, as those who love God and are called according to his purpose in his son. Number six, we have true comfort because we are assured of our salvation. And this comes in in two forms and and the confession alludes to them both or the catechism alludes to them both. So it says, yes, all things must serve for our safety and by his spirit. Also, he assures me of everlasting life and makes me ready and prepared that I may now live to him. So so the first aspect of our assurance it it comes from the testimony of the Holy Spirit. So we'll go to 2 Corinthians 1:12 where it says for for our boast is this the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity not by earthly wisdom but by the grace of God supremely 
and supremely so towards you. It, it, it's an inner testimony there. And then 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 is a little bit more explicit. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. The spirit is like a down payment that we will receive the greater glories to come. It is that deposit which God has given to his people to, to rest assured. And, and of course, there we also see this in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, where Paul writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There are also scripture texts that talk about how the spirit bears witness with our own spirit, that we are children of God. And it's by that same spirit that we can cry out to him for help. Um, and, and by having that Holy Spirit, we are empowered to live unto God. We are given a living and genuine faith. I mean. James 2.17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It is true, as the reformer says, that, that faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. It is always accompanied with good works. Living faith is accompanied by good works. And a little longer passage that gets into this is 1 John 2, 1 through 6. It says, my children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So first and foremost, what's most important is the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit himself in working in our hearts and testifying that we are sons of God will produce in us a lifestyle that seeks to imitate our Lord Jesus, not in order to acquire righteousness, not even in order to acquire comfort, but because we have comfort in him. Do you have anything to add, Austin? Before we transition on, I just want to reread these. I know you just kind of did that before we finished them, but the contents of true comfort that Jimmy has just uh, laid forth are our being united to Christ, our sin debt being satisfied, our being delivered from the reign of sin, death, and Satan, our being preserved through all things, our having all things work together for good, and our being assured for our salvation. So. Jimmy, transitioning us now, um, what is the substance of true comfort? Yeah, and, and before I do, I, I think there's just something that's that's important to notice about the way that the Heidelberg is is structured and the way the answers are given. So the questions are asked in the second person, but the answers are answered commonly in the first person. 
And so what the Heidelberg Catechism does is it, it, it requires you to preach these truths to yourself <laughs> that, that we just read. It, it's, it's your comfort. It's, it's my comfort in life and in death to belong to Christ. So with that said, though, the substance of true comfort, Ursina says this, the substance of our comfort, therefore, is briefly this, that we are Christ's and through him reconciled to the Father, that we may be beloved of him and saved, the Holy Ghost and eternal life being given unto us. So Austin, go ahead and move into, we're going to read a, a lengthier portion of Ursinus's commentary, but I think reading it in total is, is necessary because it's so beautifully and accurately put. So go ahead and transition us into the certainty of true comfort. That this comfort alone is solid is evident. First, because it alone never fails. No, not in death. For whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And secondly, because it alone remains unshaken and sustains us under all the temptations of Satan, who often thus assails the Christian. One, thou art a sinner. To this comfort replies, Christ has satisfied for my sins and redeemed me with his own precious blood so that I am no longer my own, but belong to him. Two, but thou art a child of wrath and an enemy of God. Answer, I am indeed such by nature and before my reconciliation, but I have been reconciled to God and received into his favor through Christ. Three, but thou shalt surely die. Answer, Christ has redeemed me from the power of death, and I know that through him I shall come forth from death unto life, unto eternal life. Four, but many evils in the meantime befall the righteous. Answer, but our Lord defends and preserves us under them and makes them work together for our good. Five, but what if thou fall from the grace of Christ? For thou mayest sin and faint, for it is a long and difficult road to heaven. Answer, Christ has not only merited and conferred his benefits upon me, but he also continually preserves me in them and grants me perseverance that I may neither faint nor fall from his grace. Six, but what if his grace does not extend to thee, and thou art not of the number of those who are the Lord's? Answer, but I know that grace does extend to me, and that I am Christ's, because the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God, and because I have true faith, for the promise is general, extending to all them that believe. Seven, but what if thou hast not true faith? Answer, I know that I have true faith from the effects thereof, because I have a conscience at peace with God and an earnest desire and will to believe and obey the Lord. 8. But thy faith is weak and thy conversion imperfect. Answer, yet it is nevertheless true and unfeigned, and I have the blessed assurance that to him that hath shall be given. 
Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. In this most severe and dangerous conflict, which all the children of God experience, Christian consolation remains immovable and at length concludes. Therefore, Christ with all his benefits pertains even to me. Yeah, that's that's a a rich a rich way to put all that we've already apply all that we've already been talking about to to the sinner's own mind and heart. We are in Christ, and therefore we have comfort in life and in death. Do you have anything to add there, Austin? All right. No, um, other than both of us were extremely encouraged by reading that. Yeah, and we hope you so are that- too. So that's why we ha- we read the whole thing to you. Um, and you can find that in Ursinus's commentary on on the Heidelberg comment or on the Heidelberg Catechism if you want to read it over yourself. So now we're going to talk about the necessity of true comfort. The necessity of true comfort, um, we we need it because one, we need to know that we're saved. <laughs> um, and and two, um, we need to be able to worship God in faith and in 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 gratitude. I mean, I I know I've struggled before in my Christian walk with assurance of salvation. I can relate to Pilgrim who carried that burden through the beginning of of the Pilgrim's progress and and that weight. Um, so, true comfort, knowing that you belong to Christ. Um, that that assures you each and every day that you are saved and and i believe that we all need that for our spiritual life we we all need that to make it through the day to make it through the many trials that assail us yes i know there are unbelievers that make it through each and every day but i would wager that true happiness and lasting joy only comes by knowing christ and being known or being known by Christ and coming to know Him. Um, and then also, if we want to worship God in the way that He He desires, to worship Him in truth and in spirit, um, as Jesus says, we, we need, we need desperately to know what our comfort in life and in death is. Otherwise, we, we will offer Him up vain or, or heartless or... Um, formal worship without the substance of, of true worship. So do you have anything to add to that, Austin? Ursinus says what we've similarly said. If we would glorify God in this and in a future life, we must be delivered from sin and death and not rush into desperation, but be sustained even to the end with sure consolation. Mm. Amen. Amen. And the last portion we we want to discuss briefly. I have some listed, but also in my I may perhaps come up with a few more. But that is the counterfeits of true comfort. Now Austin and I um, have both ministered, and and it may be appropriate to say that we both continue to minister in what is referred to as the Bible Belt. There are many who who have gone to revivals, walked down aisles, and and prayed what is commonly called the sinner's prayer, and then you never see them again. 
um, within the confines of an assembled church. That is, you might see them in public. And, and if you talk to them about church, they will say, well, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Or they may even say, I mean, depending on the nature of the gathering, they may have baptized them after <laughs> praying the sinner's prayer, and they'll refer to that. Now, I do believe that baptism is a means of grace. However, like all means of grace, it is only effective in the life and the heart of the believer, the genuine believer, the one who has faith in Christ. Otherwise, baptism is little more than getting wet in the same way preaching and and listening to the ministry of the word without faith is little more than listening to a a speech um which is why we prayed that the holy spirit would would make those things effective in our lives and produce the faith that we need that god would help our unbelief for for though we believe we we still need help so the sinner's prayer is a counterfeit of true comfort. If if you find comfort in the fact that you repeated some words rather than finding comfort in Christ who, who died and rose again, then that is a counterfeit. It is false. That is not where your comfort lies. Your comfort does not lie in your ability to utter words. Your, your comfort lies in Christ who came, who lived, who died, who rose again, and who will return. And the only comfort and hope you have in life and in death is whether or not you belong to him. Another counterfeit, and I encountered both of these in the text that I preached this past Sunday, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, the rich young ruler. Um, Our comfort does not come from our ability to keep rules. I mean, the man comes up, he asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, who are you? He calls Jesus good teacher. And Jesus says, who are you calling good? Only God is good alone. And I do not believe that Jesus is in any way denying his goodness, but he's trying to prompt the man to think. His question's wrongheaded. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What act must I make? Um, And Jesus is like, only God's good. But you heard the commandments and he lists off the second table of the law. Essentially, that is, he he lists off the second table of the law, and the man says, all these I have done. Jesus just said, no man is good, but God, or no one is good, but God alone. And the man's like, well, I am, um, I'm good, um, to which Jesus points that he has actually broken the very first commandment, and he had a God before God. He worshiped a God before God, and that was the God of mammon. So rule keeping could not get him there and does not provide true or lasting comfort because the man goes away disheartened. And and related to that same story, riches are, are counterfeits of true comfort. If you have wealth, substance, if you have safety and security in, in this life, it, it can be a means of temporary comfort, but not true, lasting and eternal comfort. You cannot buy off God with your wealth. And in fact, the only reason you have wealth is because God has graciously given it unto you. He has stewarded it to you. It is a a false, a counterfeit of true comfort. True comfort comes from Christ and Christ alone. Um, and, And I also just say counterfeit Christianity in general. To be a Christian in name only, nominal Christianity, um, is a sense of false comfort. To call yourself a Christian while not actually or genuinely believing on Christ, um, it's vain. It, 
it won't get you what you believe it will get you. It will not get you into eternal life. So, Austin, do you have any other counterfeits to add? All right. Well, I I list all those off because some of you may have heard them. Some of you may have believed in them or 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 placed your hope or confidence in them. And and what I want you to do instead, or remind you to do if you've already done it, is that your comfort it does not come from within you. It does not come from anything that this material world can provide you. Um, or in your own doings and actings. It only comes by belonging to Christ in both body and soul, by, by being united to him in faith. That is where hope and life and death comes from. So to conclude us, I want to reread the catechism. Question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That's a question we all need to answer. And here's the answer, that both in soul and body, whether I live or die, I am not my own, but belong wholly unto my most faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By his most precious blood, fully satisfying for all my sins, he has delivered me from the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly father, not so much as a hair may fall from my head. Yes. All things must serve for my safety and by his spirit. Also, he assures me of everlasting life and makes me ready and prepared that from now on I may live to him. We have been discussing the first question of the Orthodox Catechism. We have referred substantially a large amount to Ursinus's commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism on which the, the Orthodox Catechism is based. I pray, and, and Austin and I both pray and hope that this has been an encouragement to you, a comfort to you, um, to see where your comfort comes from, and, and may your faith be strengthened. But we just wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.